be reading this morning from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, it's that, that time of year when a lot of things happen that we've seen over and over and over. How many of you have been to a high school graduation? How many of you have been to two high school graduations? Check. Check. Give me ten. Anybody been to ten? They don't change very much. And there is a there is a reason there is a there is a a continual pattern that we take on that continues to go forward that we we say, you know, it's a good time for us to set a pattern for graduation. And there's a couple of things that um, that I like to do that helps me remember what this time of year is about. Um, is there anybody in the last 12 to 14 months, uh, I'll give you 12 to 14 months that's had a baby. Anybody's had a baby in the last 12 to 14 months? We got a few. Ty, I talked to you about this last year. Can't do it again this year. Hopefully you figured it out. Okay. Anybody, I need a, I need a hand here. Anybody in the past? Okay, over here. Well, come on up here, Kathy and Sean. Y'all coming on back up here? You're gonna need to come up here again too. Now, I'm gonna go and tell you what what my wife and my children said. Daddy, Ricky, you did this sermon last year. Let's go to our first slide. You have, let's uh, hold on to this. When was the baby born? April 30th, last year. Okay, so we're right at 12 months. That's good. So go ahead and hold this. So April, so that's that's at least, I'll just go with two, okay? So we don't need those marbles anymore. There are 884 marbles in here, okay? Each one of those marbles represents a week that your kid is going to live in your home until they graduate. Assuming they don't fail several times like some people have. Um, um, and what I want to give this to you for is I want to remind you all to that each week that goes by is another week that you cannot recover. Now, you can put the lid on this. You see a lid on it? There's not a lid. And as somebody who's about to have a 16-year-old, I realize I can't get that back. I cannot go back and get that back. So what I want to challenge you to do is to make each one of these weeks count, to set a pattern in your child's life. What's, your, what's the baby's name? Sean Jr. All right. SJ, Sean Jr. That they would come to know Christ. Because the reality is that each one of these weeks, they're learning something. They're setting a pattern. And what I want to challenge you to do is make each one of those marbles count. 
So thank you. Y'all go ahead and sit on down. Thank y'all. And do I have anybody who's an incoming freshman who's in here? Incoming freshman, parents of incoming. Oh, I see too. Let's go ahead and get the Robertsons up here with Audrey. Where's that going up here? Y'all come up with her. Reagan? All right, come on up. Got him. He's kind of shy. I got to see these two guys show up. Doug, yeah, you got to come too. I know that as brothers, I'll get the two brothers over here. That's you. Y'all have never fought or wrestled over anything before. Is this true? But you've got 213 weeks until these kids walk across the stage. If God bless you, this, this is beautiful. Are you getting a picture of this? Look at these kids. And these, just like those, are weeks that you don't get back. So I want to challenge you guys to use every week to make an impression on them that they will follow the pattern of Christ in their life. So thank you all very much. Just a reminder, you've got 213 weeks left till they walk across. And you've got about another 7,000 before uh, you get out of this. So let's go ahead and let's thank them. Let's thank Reagan and Audrey for coming up too. And let me go ahead and get sweet Miss Becca Svoboda and her incoming senior. Y'all go ahead and come on up, Becca and Leah. As we finish out the home stretch for Becca in her uh, time in high school, as I moved, three years ago y'all moved here, right? Uh, and uh, as so many of our kids are, uh, Leah, if you've gotten to know Leah, you know she is a a bright spot in your day when you come across Leah because you better be ready for a smile and a hug. And then she's going to find somewhere to lay down. Uh, that's just the way it happens. Uh, but Becca, that does not happen by accident. And I want you to know that I see Christ in you, uh, the way you're raising your children and giving yourself uh, to Christ and then to them. And uh, beautiful fruit is coming out of it. And I just want to remind you, you've got 54 weeks for this one. (laughs) But 54 weeks, and I want to encourage you to make these last 54 with her in your home to be a continual impression of Christ in their life. So thank you. And I'm looking forward to having you as a senior. Thank you. can't tell you how many times my wife asked me, you know you did this last year, right? Um, but if you want to count, let's go to our next slide. If you want to count how many weeks it is to your kid's graduation, you can get an app. It's called Legacy Countdown. It's free, and you can input your different kids uh, in there. We've got Aubrey, Laurel, and Cooper on ours, and you can actually count down how many more weeks until they leave your house, Okay. For some of y'all, this may be traumatic. For some of y'all, it may be uh, a dance party. Uh, so um, 
you can actually get that out. Again, it's called Legacy Countdown. If you have a grandchild and you want to download that and uh, start counting down, you can do that as well. Let's go ahead and um, let's move forward. One more time. One more time. There we go. This right here is a scripture that we continue to look upon as we get to the part of our life where our seniors are about to graduate. And whenever we talk about parenting, we always go to Deuteronomy 6 as this is an important time in the life. And let me just remind you of what's happening here. They've crossed the Jordan and they want to know how in the world they're going to take this land. And God, Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. He starts to tell them what it is that's most important. In fact, he says this. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, Israel. And be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. Now, if you have a child living in your home still, if you are still raising a child uh, who's under 18, go ahead and stand up with me. Stand up. If you have a kid living in your house eating your food who's under 18 years old, I want you to read... These yellow words with me. Let's read it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Amen. You may be seated. This is the great command that he gave them. How do we do that? These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he starts telling them how you need to do this. Okay, so when do we do this? Do we do this whenever we gather at the tabernacle? Maybe later on whenever we build a temple. Maybe we'll gather then and we'll, we'll do it then. That's when we'll impress it on them. And you've heard this sermon over and over. And you need to hear it over and over. And I need to hear it over and over. Because it says, impress them on your children. Talk about them at home when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. How do we do this? I, I don't have it all figured out, but I've spent the past 20 years working with families who are trying to figure it out. And observing some families who, man, I see the Lord alive in their kid's life. How can I imitate what they are doing? What pattern is it? that they are using. Because one of the reasons you're listening to me today is because you care about the outcome of your child's life. You care about the spiritual health that your student has. That's why you're here today. You're not here today because you were bored. You're here because you know that an investment here will bring fruit in your kid's life. And a lot of us are. A lot of us want Jesus to be the center of our kids' lives. In fact, there's a, there's a video here that we're going to watch that, that has a dad who is very intent on Jesus being the center of his kid's life. Let's see if we can watch that. Oh, let's rewind it so we can get some volume on it. Let's rewind it just a little bit so we can get some volume. 
How many of you have seen this? Because I'm not letting you get a boyfriend. Why not? Because you're not getting one. Dad, I can get a boyfriend if I want to get a boyfriend. Daddy will break his legs. No! Yes, I will. Dad, I... And guess what will happen after that? What? See, your boyfriend's daddy. Mm -hmm. Daddy will take him hostage and keep him in a cupboard. Dad, listen. I want a boyfriend. I want a boyfriend. I'm getting a boyfriend. You're not getting a boyfriend. You're going to be a nun. You're going to be a nun. You're going to work for Jesus. They're who you're going to work for. They're who you're going to work for. End of story. Hey! <laughs> I mean, that's one way to do it, I guess. Uh, you're going to work for Jesus. End of story. But we do. We don't want, when we see something that is going to interfere with Jesus being the center of the lives of our students, of your children, you want to you get it out. You want to weed it out. If it's something within your own life, if it's something that they're letting come into their life, whether it be through music or watching a certain movie or the way that they're spending the time or the friends that they're with, you're like, nope, we, we can't do this. Because we care about the outcome that's going to happen. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Let's begin with the prayer of this one. Father, I just pray that you would open up my mind and use my mouth um, to honor you and to say things that will help us to build uh, a community of believers that is living out patterns that will honor you, that will, that will build a pattern, Father, that helps ordinary people come into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus Christ and that then they could tell somebody else about Jesus. And transform somebody else's life. And again and again and again. So Father I pray that you would use me today. To honor you. Father right now I also pray for the believers that are at First United Methodist. That are seeking you with all their heart. For those who have gathered there and, and are seeking a relationship with you. I pray you would bless them. I pray especially for Bill Acock as their... Uh, youth minister is uh, resigning and taking on another line of work. And I pray for the youth group of that church that you would help those families also raise their kids in the Lord. And in this time of transition, Father, I pray that you would, uh, your spirit would guide them and strengthen them. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the 1970s, air travel was at an all-time high. The planes were safer. The planes were, um, let me see if I get here. There we go. The planes were safer, and the planes began to get bigger. And they introduced this new air, airplane, and Boeing began to build it. It was the 747. And it was an incredible Airbus that was uh, transporting almost 400 people. I mean, that is a crazy number whenever you look at just what was happening a decade earlier. But all of a sudden, 
air travel was more accessible as far as price goes. Uh, air travel was uh, more, um, uh, more desirable because of where it could get you. And so many people began to really invest in, in this as a form of transportation. One of the things that became a problem on the 747, as they were looking, how do I get a person from point A to point B, was a very, this was a very personal issue with each one of the passengers. And some people would even say it was a safety concern, and so they, they had this task force that began to work on a solution so that the 747 could be a great mode of transportation, and a safe one. Let's go to our next slide. This is in order. So they grabbed a group of men to begin to work on a mold. And that is the work of what a pattern machinist does. A pattern machinist takes the plans of engineers and then begins to take the pattern and work on them. And it so happens that in Birmingham, Alabama, a young man by the age of 24, almost 25, his name was Richard Harvey Pruitt Sr. And he was on this task force as they began to try to improve air travel in a way that was going to personally affect each pastor on a 747 because these flights didn't just go one hour. These were the five, the six, the seven-hour flights, the, the over-the-ocean kind of flights. Let's see if we can get a, a bigger, the next picture. And so they developed this pattern right here. And it was my dad's work that has personally touched. How many of you have flown in a 747? My dad's work, his dedication to his craft, his sacrifice at work has touched you personally. Raise your hand again. I'm going to go one more. If you don't, are not holding a baby and your knees will allow you, please stand up. Because of the dedication that my dad did, you have been touched personally by his work. Let's go one more slide. That was the mold for the toilet seat. You can sit down now. As you did on my dad's work, you may sit down again. I'm not making this up. My dad is one of the pattern machinists that formed the mold that touched you in a very personal way during your travel. But it took the dedication, and it took a plan, and it took materials, and it took time. How do we set a pattern? How do we set a pattern? There's a new series, well, not new, but you may have seen it. There's a book series that recently came out. Let's go to our two slides forward. It's called Divergent. And during the, in the series Divergent, basically there's four kinds of people that they try to fit you into. And once you're in, you've got to follow the mold. You've got to follow the plan. And if you don't follow the plan, you are called a what? Oh, come on, let me hear you. You're a what? Divergent. Divergent. Okay? And that's the first book. Okay? And they find out that these people don't want to follow the plan. And in this book, it's a classic story that tells about how the world is going one direction, but somebody else was made 
for a different purpose. And they've got to follow the plan that was made for them, not only for their own survival, but for the survival of the planet. This is very interesting. Let's open up to Romans. I think you already opened there at Romans chapter 12. And let's go to verse 2. The NIV reads like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I started in verse 1, sorry, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your uh, true and proper worship. Now, the first word in chapter 12, verse 1 is, therefore. Now, whenever we talk about therefore, it's because he's talking about what happened what? Before. So whenever you see that word in Scripture, you can go back and say, okay, therefore what? What are we thereforeing about? He's talking about therefore because what has happened before. Now let's remember what happened before, and you can look at this on your own. But in chapter 1 of Romans, he begins to talk about a people who have given themselves over to every kind of sensuality, meaning everything that gives them pleasure, meaning everything I want to do, I should have the right to do. Does that sound like any culture that you've heard of? Our culture today. Any, hey, it's okay. You be you. Whatever you want to do, go ahead and do it. It doesn't matter about your sexuality, how you want to view it, how you want to express it. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how you want to talk about somebody. If you want to murder somebody with your words, you have the right. And we have men who are dying so you can have that right. So use that right with all freedom you want to because you have that right. And it makes you feel good to speak hate. doesn't matter if it's how I want to spend my time. But he warns them that in chapter 1. Therefore, because what happened before, let me tell you what was happening. You're giving yourself over to anything and everything to please yourself, to honor yourself, to pleasure yourself. Chapter 3 reminds us that that is the brokenness that is inside of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what's happening before. You were sinful, but God died for you. In chapter 5, it says, you know what? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see a little story developing here. People giving themselves over to whatever they want to makes them sinful, makes them broken. They miss the mark. But even in that sin, even in that sin, that's when Christ died for you. And graduate says, you head out of here, I want to remind you of that. Whenever you mess up, whenever you hit trials, it's not when you get it right that you need to come back to Jesus. You need to come back to church. Because Jesus didn't save you when you had it all together. So chapter 5 reminds us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter 6, he goes on and says, you know what? Therefore, you were buried with Christ in baptism because he doesn't want to live in a life of sin anymore. But you were raised again to a new life. Okay? So everything's perfect now. Well, no. Chapter 7 tells us again. I do what I don't want to do, and what I do want to do, I don't do. He's struggling. How do I live this life? How do I live this? How do I set a pattern whenever I'm even struggling with it? And in chapter 8, he says, I'll tell you how you do it. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And in all these things, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And God will provide his spirit, and through him you are more than conquerors. 
chapter 10 reminds us that when we're in trouble, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. He will reach his hand into our life again and pull us out of the muck and the mire and the sin and the selfishness. And that's what happens before. So let's go back to therefore. He says, give your life because of what God did. That story of you're not worth it, you are sinful, but because you're not worth it, I'm sending a sacrifice for you. Because of that, therefore, you offer your life as a living sacrifice. That is your act of worship. Verse 2 just nails it. How do we do that? How do I give my life? He says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. This is in your Bible, chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me, let me give you another version. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. But let God transform you to a new person by changing the way that you think. The message says it this way. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. So, therefore, because of what happened before, and God is bringing us into a new life, then how do I live out this new life? How do I live my life as a living sacrifice to God? What does that even look like? Well, first thing we've got to do is we've got to change our thinking. What we talked about about a year and a half ago, and Jimmy continues to bring up, is our new identity as followers of Jesus. Whenever we look at who we are, our identity changes who we are, and we're going to have to change how we're thinking. We're going to have to change the fact that, you know what? Everybody else is listening to this song. You know what? All the other parents are letting their kids watch this series on Netflix. You know what? Everybody else that I know, you know, they're good people. I think they go to church. They do this. And we've got to change our way of thinking to say, what is it that in my life will honor God and produce godly fruit? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. As Jimmy asked me to, to speak on this topic today, chapter 12, verse 1 has been a life verse for me, to offer my life as a living sacrifice to God. But the rest of chapter 12 helps me put some tennis shoes on this verse to make it go somewhere. I like to run, so that makes sense to me. Let's go to our next slide. So what does parents have to do with setting a pattern? Well, let me, let me, let's take a look at a few things here. We've got in our culture, there's a certain vo uh, ver uh, song that Waylon and Willie sang. It says, Mama, don't let your, don't let them pick guitars or drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys because they'll never stay home. They're always alone, even with someone they love. We hear this song, we're like, okay, Ricky, why are you quoting these guys? I'm going to tell you why I'm quoting these guys, because people who are 
actually trying to make sense of this life are saying what happens in the family affects a child. Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be a cowboy. And he explains to them the things that they should and they shouldn't do. Because cowboys like smoky old pool rooms and clear mountain mornings. Little warm puppies and children and girls of the night. Them that don't know him won't like him. And, uh, and them that do sometimes won't know how to take him. He ain't wrong. He's just different. But his pride won't let him do things to make you think he's right. So we're, we're looking at a guy who is saying, listen, don't let your child follow this pattern. Leonard Skinner says it a little bit different. Mama told me when I was young, come sit beside me, my son. Listen closely to what I say. And if you do this, it'll help you some sunny day. So culture is grabbing a hold of this and saying, listen, this is true. This is real. But there's one more song that I want to talk to you about. When a dad confesses that his actions helped form his son. He said, son, this world is rough. And if a man's going to make it, he's got to be tough. And I knew that I wouldn't be there to help you along. So I gave you a name and I said goodbye. I knew you'd have to get tough or die, and it's that name that helped you make you strong. The author of that song, or the singer of that song later on goes on to say, whenever I have a son, I'm going to name him Bill or George, because he sure does not want to name him what? He doesn't want to name him Sue, because the life that we give our kids affects the direction in their life. And you know that. And that's why you're here. So, Ricky, tell me something that's useful. I know this, but I just want to remind us that in Scripture and in culture, we can't deny a truth that is self-evident. So let's take a look at a couple points that I wanted to make out of Romans 12. Where do we go? And the first is this. You've got to remember your identity. As somebody who is raising your students in Christ, I think we could say that our culture right now is not necessarily concerned with your kids' eternal salvation. We've got some incredible coaches, some incredible teachers that are in churches all across this city who get to influence our students every day. And that is a blessing to be able to partner with them. But I want to remind you that their identity is as a child of God. Their identity is not as a football or a soccer or a volleyball or basketball or golf player. That is not our student's identity. That is not the kid you are raising. Whenever they walk across the stage and they begin a life in college, what is going to carry them through is a relationship with Jesus. Now, a sport and an activity, it may get them a scholarship, and that's great. I, I have enjoyed sports as long as I can remember. I have enjoyed studying it. No, I haven't. Okay. But 
that part of school wasn't always my favorite. But I've enjoyed sports, and it put me in relationships with people who helped set patterns in my life. But the most important pattern that I've had has been my parents who have reminded me that I am a Christ follower. And I am a member of my family. And I am a member of my church. And somewhere down the line, I was a basketball player for Huntsville High School or Smithville High School. That's somewhere down the line. So let's remember our identity. And parents, the way that your students are going to remember that is if you remind them. You remind them in the way that you prioritize. You remind them that in the way that you talk to them about it. In the way that you live that out and show them. Second thing is their place in the body of Christ and how you live this out. There's an interesting article. Some of you have heard of the author, Francis Chan. And Francis has written a book. It's called, he's written several good books. Um, one of them is called Crazy Love. Another one, The Forgotten God. Great books. Crazy Love. And the other one is The Forgotten God. The Forgotten God is on the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. But he says this. He was speaking a strong message to families about making the family an idol. And this is interesting, but I want to read it to you because it's important that we remember that our family is a part of the body of Christ. It says this. It's not about going out into the harvest field as a worker anymore. It's about being a part of a family. And the family is the center of everything. It's about, let's protect our family now. Let's keep us safe. Let's find some gated community and keep them in all in our house, away from all the bad people. And there's no excuse for that, Chan said. That's why so many of our kids, when they turn 18, they just ditch God altogether because they didn't see anything real in your life. They didn't see that sense of adventure and that you did not put yourself in positions where God had to come through. And then, when he comes through, the whole family is rejoicing and saying, Wow, that was amazing. I'm never going to leave that God. No, we just create a little bubble for ourselves. How is God even going to operate with that? So as we find our place in the body of Christ... And how we live. As we finish up these last two. Here's what students are going to take from us parents. Research is coming over and over and over. If they see the kingdom of God alive in you. If they see you pursuing God. They will get to know God. If they see you pursuing an attendance chart. Or awards at school. Or accomplishments in sports. And those things can be good. But if at the center of your heart is not passionately pursuing the kingdom of God, when they walk away, they will walk away. Let's go to our next slide. What's going to help you set a pattern? So parents, this is what I'm going to leave you with. What are you listening to? Well, I don't listen to hip-hop. I listen to country. Are the lyrics really that different? 
Might use different words, but they're aiming in the same direction. Sounds a lot like Romans chapter 1 to me. What shows are you watching? Teenagers, you need your parents' guidance whenever you're picking series on Netflix. You do. Because you're learning. Relationships. You know this. You've been on top of this since before kindergarten. Oh, I don't want my kid hanging out with that kid. That, that's the biter. Don't let him hang out with the biter. He'll start biting. And the last thing I want to put in front of you is activities. If every time a spiritual growth opportunity comes up, it gets trumped by another activity. Whether it be an academic or a sports related, if every time they go head to head, the spiritual growth opportunity loses, that's a pattern. That's a pattern. If every time. Continue to fight the battle because let me tell you, this culture wants you to set a pattern. This culture wants you to set a pattern. But to create a culture like Romans 12.1. I mean, sorry, like Romans 1. And by the time we get to Romans 12, Paul is reminding us that you will reap what you will sow. Those are scary words for us parents, teenagers, because we know our own hearts. We know our own faults. We know our mistakes. But the culture from Romans 1 finally gets a reprimand and finally gets a solution in Romans chapter 12 when he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think we're going to end right there this morning. My question for you is, what patterns are we setting? What patterns for for reading scripture are you setting before your kids? What pattern for praying to God are you setting for your kids? Is your activity level in-house producing kids who are exhausted And they just cannot keep up. Because that's the pattern they're going to live out in their life. My wife and I struggle with this. How do we do this? So let me encourage you to seek the Lord. And let me encourage you to gather as a community of believers here. Here's one thing we're going to do in the fall. We're going to start a community of parents for parents of the youth group. And we're going to meet during the class time, and you're going to hear more about that as we go on. But it's because we want to set a community together that can help set patterns for our families, that can help set a pattern, not so our kids all look like cookie cutters, but so we can talk about things. What's going to be the role of these things in our kids' lives, and how can we help each other raise our kids under this pattern? So we're going to do that in the fall. Teenagers, we're taking them to camps. We're doing classes. By the way, today your camp deposit is due. But what are we going to do in our students' lives to set a pattern for the kingdom? As a family and as a community of faith. Let's pray. Father, we do wish we could be like the guy at the beginning uh, in the video. 
It just grabs our kids and say, you're going to work for Jesus. Because we know, we know of the assurance. We know of the clear victory. We know of the promises that you and your son and your spirit have given us. So, Father, I pray for us as parents. As the world is trying to set patterns in our in our teenagers' lives, patterns of the way that they think about politics, patterns about the way that they think about their sexuality, patterns about the way that they think about their relationships, their friendships, patterns about how they use their time. Father, help us as parents. And I pray that you would put a desire in our students' lives, in our teenagers, and in our children's lives to be in a pattern that looks like you. Father, I thank you for the Bible class teachers who are here teaching your word to our students, but I thank you also for the parents who are setting a daily pattern of life for our kids. Father, may your spirit convict us where we need to be convicted. May you allow us to give ourselves grace, but more importantly, Father, help us to move forward, setting good patterns that help our children look more and more like your son, that help our lives look more and more like your son every day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.